Welcome to Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Artwives. Woman Up is a podcast talking to women artists, creatives, art critics, feminist historians, activists, and more. The series was conceived by Desperate Artwives founder Amy Dignam in collaboration with me, Susan Merrick. Desperate Artwives is a platform established in 2010 for women artists who are also mothers and carers. Amy's work focuses on domestic disorder, unsteady identity, power, and dysfunction. And I'm an artist interested in feminism, language, power, and access. In this platform, we share conversations with women that inspire us and our work, whilst producing a long-form content of resources for other people to access. Hello and welcome to Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Artwives. I'm Susan Merrick, and today I'm speaking with Emma Franklin. Emma is a live performance and theatre artist. Her work often focuses on honesty, action, and a playfully destructive DIY aesthetic. In recent years, her work has been focused on the None of Us is Yet a Robot project, a series of performance pieces recently published by Oberon Books as None of Us is Yet a Robot, five performances on gender identity and the politics of transition. A two-time Fringe First Award winner, in 2013, Emma was a featured artist at the British Council's showcase. She's performed internationally and collaborated widely as both a performer and a dramaturg. Emma was described as the punk rock angel of your dreams and nightmares by the stage on her production, Hearty. Hello and welcome, Emma. Hello. Thanks for having me. That's such a, what, what an introduction, that quote. I don't know how I'm ever going to live that up. <laughs> That's an amazing quote, isn't it? How does it feel to be described as that then? As, as a punk rock angel. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, it was really funny. I think I'm, I'm learning to embrace being labeled as a punk artist i think for a while i was um resistant to it and and like no i I don't feel that um necessarily my um my identity was was punk enough to claim punk you know like i think there's legitimately people out there who are punk and then i was chatting with a friend and they were like detailing some of the elements of my work and i was like okay yeah probably (laughs) probably i am a punk if i think about it all right um but yeah i'll i I embrace it i'll take it excellent um so i would like to start the conversation um which i've done the last couple of conversations and i quite like it so i'm I'm continuing it whether anyone else likes it or not Uh, i've done a little bit of um instagram stalking and um there are two things that are really fun that i've seen you doing during the lockdown that we're currently in uh one of them is uh your roller skating and the other one is um the performances and the videos that you've been creating with your son um are you happy to tell us about those things because i think they both sound really they're both really cool really fun and i love them so yes please tell me yeah absolutely well i mean the skating um i play roller derby with the brighton rockers um and that's been a huge part of my life for the past um four years um which was a real surprise because i have never been someone who really engaged with sport and like team sport and as an artist and as a theater artist like the idea of 
actually having to commit to being somewhere three days a week and be responsible for a team and show up and everything. Um, like I, I don't know. I've, I've always failed at having hobbies because my work is so consuming and also a thing that I love. So it was also taking that space, but actually joining the team has been amazing and you'd think that having a child would root me to a place, but being in a team <laughs> has really rooted me to the place where I am. Um, and actually something that's been a real challenge in the last uh, few weeks of um, and the current situation is that we can't, we can't play. I mean, and the, I don't want to, someone was talking about the Chelsea flower show on the radio and they said, Oh, if the worst thing is that the flower show can't go on. I would like to say that I, the worst thing is that now being affected by this pandemic and physical health is um on the line of things that is the worst thing personally a thing that is hard is not being able to skate with my teammates um and there's so much kind of positive mental health that comes from it there's so much validation that i take from skating um with a large group of women and um they're my friends and it's physical and so yeah the skating is just kind of like i have to i have to do something um and it really brings me up and i'm lucky where i live that i can skate easily around it's it's quite quite quiet i found a cool car park which has just been resurfaced so it's also quite nice to skate out there um so that's the skating um i've also just started running which is kind of less cool but also feels kind of essential um and yeah the other thing with with uh so i have a child called joey um and he lives with me for half the time and so I kind of have him for four days and then I don't have him for four days. So I'm in this strange sort of like, I, either I'm a single parent or I'm a, um, or I'm living by myself. Uh, but yeah, when I have him with me, we've been up to some great things. We've been recreating Calvin and Hobbes comic strips on TikTok. Um, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was really fun. Um, and he's, I mean, he's just great. He's seven, which is a wonderful age. I feel like it's a good time to be in this sort of situation with him because he's old enough to have his own interests and be able to go off and do his own thing. But he's also young enough that he still just really wants to hang out with me as much as he can. Um, so he loves it. You, you have them as well. I do. I do. I have two. Um, and actually it's, they've been a bit of an inspiration during this time because they just crack on with it. Um, what have you been up to? Oh, what have we been doing? We um, made a homemade roller coaster in the back garden. Um, that was that was our main project for the first few weeks, um, and then and then we just got a puppy. So that's going to be the rest of our, the project for the rest of our, our lives. Yeah, <laughs> so pretty, pretty major. Yeah, but good. Um, I seeing seeing you do some work with your with your son i see a lot of parent artists including myself who love to um mm. include their children um maybe not necessarily in their own practice but in in making in doing in being in performing um how how do you think that um positively because well, i think it's positive positively affects um your son just being around a performer an artist and getting to be um, expressive in that way and have those opportunities. I, th I think it's positive as well. I mean, I guess it depends on whether you think the kind of lifestyle that we have is, is positive, but I mean, he's, I remember really early on, um, I mean, he was still a kind of baby in arms and, um, his other, his other parent is a theater maker as well. Um, and I remember like 
we were making a show together. And so Joey was constantly with us in the rehearsal room. Um, and we gave him to someone who was like really unfussed by it. And I remember this person saying, well, he's a theatre kid. Of course, he's going to be used to being handed around. And I do love the fact that, you know, he is, he's a, he's a theatre kid. And as such, you know, he's grown up in the industry. He's grown up with artists all around him. And, you know, a lot of the things that for some people, um, you know, are, uh, they have to kind of fight to see as being valid or to fight to kind of see this, you know, to see artistic expression as a thing that is, um, valuable and respectable. I think yeah. what's great is that for Joey, this is just like, you know, it, it's his life and he communicates extremely well with adults. His own like art brain is really, it like is inspiring as well. And, and it's just, you know, he's just got a really, he's also got a really, um, good attitude towards work. I think, you know, I feel always confident to take him into a rehearsal situation or a performance situation with me because he gets it you know he and he's really good at like understanding okay i'm gonna sit here for five hours whatever and just do my thing because um people are working and and yeah i mean there's lots of children who have working parents who obviously have a similar attitude to it but yeah i love it i feel i do often feel that he's a collaborator rather than you know rather than a tag along yeah we um I recently spoke to um, Shirley Cameron, who's a performance artist from the um, 70s. Mm. Um, and she talked loads about at that time, you know, her and her partner, uh, Roland Miller, had um, they had children together and it was just, um, there, there was no way they couldn't have their children with them all the time. And um, she said exactly that. She said that they, you know, became their collaborators and they just were, they were either part of the audience or part of the performance or part of the backstage or, you know, whatever was yeah. happening. And she said that they've, that the kids as they got older were just like looking back and like, oh my God, you know, that was just normal for us. But we got to see all these places and do all these things and have all this access. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. I'm really loving having this time with him out of school, actually. Like, um, last year we home educated him. Um, so he's in year three now. Um, and because he was at school for his year one and that school closed and then we couldn't uh, get him into the school that we were hoping to, which, um, it's just a, a regular state school that's, that's near where I live and it's very small. Um, we couldn't get him into it last year. So we had to wait until year three. So we had this sort of bonus year of having him at home. And, and so last year he was with me the whole time or, or with his, with his mum the whole time. And, um, I kind of, I've missed it, you know, like autumn term and spring school term. It's a bit like, Ooh, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. So in a way it's been lovely having him back and having him back with the time to give as well, because the reason that we chose to not continue home educating was just a realization that, it, you know, to do it properly, I think you've got to be fully committed to, to that. And, you know, we both really value our careers as well. And so, um, that was the decision. So yeah, I feel this is kind of like a treat having him back. Yeah, I, to I totally agree. Totally. Mm. Um, right. I'd like to get on to talking about some of your amazing work, please, Emma. Um, what do I want to start with? Okay. So I, from, from what I've seen of, uh, researching your work and just following you over the past few years, um, something that comes out a lot in your work um, is physicality. 
mm-hmm. um, and materials, often dirty materials, getting messy, natural materials often as well, um, whether it's stone or wood or mud, dirt. Um, um, yeah, I'm, think, I'm thinking about um, the really amazing um, production recently, We Dig. Mm-hmm. and how physical that was, the equipment that you used, um, uh, the whole aesthetic of it was very physical, um, very labour-intensive, um, but also in Rituals for Change, the um, the materials that you used, again, um, for each of the rituals were quite often, even when it was the the more gentle ceramics, the 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 craft-based side with the gentle music going on in the background. Mm. It was still very natural, physical materials as well as the, the scaffolding and the, um, and the wood and the axe. What, what is it about those materials and that aesthetic that you're really drawn to? Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, I can't seem to get away from making a mess. I do... <laughs> I was reflecting recently that um, when I was making Rituals for Change, I was really determined that it was going to be a clean show, like with no mess. And that, that absolutely ended up being probably the most extreme, extremely messy show that I've made. Um, and I do kind of feel that like that in a way after, after that show, because I did so clearly at the beginning have this thought of like, right, I don't want to do that again. I want to do something fresh. And then I ended up sort of doing that. It, it, that coming through for some reason and then actually post rituals for change i have kind of i'm more embraced that now and i think okay well it's going to be messy so what like how can i make a better mess how can i make a bigger mess how can i understand the mess more um and so i'm i you know i think that kind of helped me to understand that you know it's it is a core part of what what i'm interested in um i think in that body of work none of this is yet a robot um, which was all, it's all pieces that are reflecting on my transition. I'm a trans woman and, uh, that they were made over the set, over the, the first seven years. And I think there's something that I wanted to bring into the work about materiality and about physicality and about the fact that my body has been going through so many changes that, um, for me, the experience of being trans, of being a transsexual woman is, is, uh, a very physical one, even though for a very long time, it's been coded as a mental thing. Um, you know, I had to, um, as part of the journey of accessing the, um, you know, what I, what I personally wanted to access medically, I've had to go through a, a long period of psychiatric assessment and be, um, you know, assessed as, um, having mental, um, illness and things like this, which I, you know, strongly disagree with, um, because it's always felt to me of the body. Absolutely. Um, and so there's something in the work that, you know, I want to use, I I do want, and I did want, um, to use my body and particularly rituals for change, which was very much, um, intended to be a celebration of the um the kind of the drugs that i that are able to affect my body in this way of all of our bodies that have this potentiality to change the fact that we are all changing whether that's a change from um you know, it's a, that's a kind of 
change about gender markers or whether that's a change because we're aging or it's a change because of pregnancy or a change because of illness or, you know, there's so many reasons. We're all, we're always changing. Um, and so there was something about, yeah, coming back to the body that, um, I think is really important. And then I think that continues. I think that's what brings me to objects and brings me to mass. Um, and yeah, I mean, we did, we did was extreme. I mean, that was a group show that I made with, um, well, with, with a lot of other people, but performed with, um, four other trans feminine people. And yeah, I mean, it was all centered around digging a hole. I just knew I really wanted to break up rocks and use a pneumatic drill really early on. I was like this, you know, I think that has to be there. And, and that, um, I think you Sorry. need to describe that more because when I first saw that, I was like, is there, so actually digging going to happen in the theatre? And it was so exciting to see it actually, you actually dug a hole. That was yeah. um, so, so the production was, it was commissioned by Oval House as part of their final season in their, uh, the location where they'd been for 50 years um, in Oval, Oval House Theatre in Oval in London. And it yeah. was a commission um, to... Uh, create a performance that would destroy, literally demolish the theatre because they are moving away from that building. So they had the opportunity to destroy a theatre. Um, and I was like, this, this is the commission I've been waiting for, for my work. Um, and it coincided with, um, I've had this kind of fascination with the idea of digging and burying. Um, for a while now, I was in Brazil and speaking with a, um, trans person there who was talking about, in their words, the genocide that's happening in that country, um, against trans people. Um, and they said to me, we have to bury our knowledge until the apocalypse passes in the hope that in the future it can be uncovered by our people. And I think I've been really fascinated by this idea of, well, what is the apocalypse and, you know, what, what knowledge should we be burying for people to uncover? What, what wisdom is there that's out there that we need to dig up? And so the opportunity to like actually dig a literal hole of the kind of scale that I've been imagining, you know, Rituals for Change has earth in it, but it's a small pile of earth that we bring into a theater space. Whereas, you know, here we were able to literally break the ground. And I guess, again, that was the, the calling for the pneumatic drill was to, to show that, okay, we really are going to break through this concrete and we're going to dig and we're going to get sweaty and, and you're going to see these, feminine bodies, these trans feminine bodies in a way that you're not usually presented with female bodies being physical and, you know, sweating and working hard. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's something that I do em embrace in my work. And, and for me, the digging is okay. I love that about your work. I lo absolutely you. love that about your work. I think the other, um, sorry, do, I feel like I'm going to go on, but the, the final thing I would say about both those pieces, rituals and we dig for for me, that with We Dig, um, there were so many different voices and everyone's um, background and experience was very different. We had a, a person came from Indonesia and was part of the core company. There were artists from Turtle Island, from Canada, who came over, um, other um, artists from the UK. So everyone had a very different and unique perspective um, that they brought to the piece. And... So I really asked myself, well, what's my, other than this anecdote that I heard, what is my relationship to holes? And I'm from Cornwall and the mining industry is a really big feature of Cornish landscape and my growing up. And 
Um, so there was something about, and also as a, as a white person, um, in some of the conversations that we were having, being, wanted to be representative in a way of destructive colonialism that's scarred the land, the land that we live on, um, as well as causing kind of great, um, difficulties in, in the modern world. So for me, there was something about stepping into the play, into the role of the, the minor and to dig in a, in a quite an invasive and destructive way. Fun though it was. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, going because that was present in in rituals because of the clay as well, the china clay, which is mined from Cornwall. Ah, yeah, amazing. Um, so the project None of Us Is Yet a Robot, which is Mm -hmm. now a book, as we mentioned in the intro, um, that's based around these five performances, um, that you've created over the last few years. Did you? Did you begin it as a project or is it something that you, you know, you began as these separate performances perhaps and it's, and it's turned into that project? What was the, um, what was the process of this? I mean, it absolutely just started out as, as a show. It was going to be, going to be a show. Um, and I think it became a project at some point retrospectively when there were possibly around the point when there were three things. Um, it was also kind of, I mean, when I started making language, it was absolutely at a point of, I was at, I wasn't at, which was for change, talks a lot more eloquently than I can in, here and in real life about the fact that of, of when there's, when does a transition begin? We're always in trans, we're always transitioning, et cetera, et cetera. And I do find yeah. it hard and reductive and problematic to put dates and things and say, well, there was this before and there was this after, because I don't think it, it is as simple as that. But um, certainly around 2012 was a big time of change for me in terms of um, my relationship to my body, the language I was using around being trans, coming out, changing my gender, my pronouns, my name, things like this. So there was an awful lot of things going on. And all I, all I knew, all I know is that I'm a artist and a theater maker and the way that I feel that I'm, I feel that I'm contributing or what I'm doing with my work is to reflect on the things that are happening as, as they are happening. So that was the catalyst for beginning really was just going, okay, well, this is stuff happening and, and I make theater, so I'm going to make theater about it. And I think what was really amazing in those first few years was that I had people around me and, and also I'm aware, awareness myself of when that work was for an audience and when it was not. And when it was part of just me working out my, working out my shit. Um, and we didn't perform anything. I didn't perform anything for, for the first few years of working on that material. Um, and really everything, I think everything in that project, each of the pieces, um, has heat in it. You know, there's this, it's hot, the subject matter. Yeah. So you've got, there are five, just to, for the listeners, there are five um, parts, aren't there, to None of Us Yet a Robot. Um, language, egg box, doodle, rituals for change, and hearty, which, are, right. all, um, which are all performances in, in their own right. Yeah, that's right. And so um, they, they, were the, they were the five performance. Um, 
yeah, elements of the project. And each of them in their own way around the time that I was making them were dealing with where I was at at that time and where the politics around um, trans issues was at that time as well, which also changed wildly across the time of making them. Um, but it was never, I was never in crisis with the material. And I think that was a really important, that's been a really important lesson to learn. Um, you know, I, I've never, I've never been taking material to the stage that was, that felt unsafe. I think that's really important. Um, but yeah, becoming a project. I mean, also I took the title, none of this is yet a robot, which responds to, um, it was a response to a kind of, there's a slur that's often thrown against trans women, particularly, um, that some women are biological and some women are that by, by definition, then non-biological. And so this was a, it's part of the, text of language that we are all biological none of us is yet a robot and then that became the title but also having a title was essential at that time because i hadn't yet changed my name and the first performance of language got some really bad bad representation in the press um and it was a kind of introduction to realize like oh not everyone's going to receive this work kindly not everyone is going to have you know positive um thoughts around around trans people and at that point i hadn't come out personally to all the people i wanted to come out personally to so it felt kind of essential to put a name between me and the work as a kind of protection really it was like if you know if i didn't want um yeah it was scary um, I bet it was. Do you know that yeah, really that makes sense? Kind of from. Did did Eggbox come next after language? Um, yeah. Oh, it's so slidey the time of things. Eggbox I'm sure. and, yeah, Eggbox and Doodle came I mean, around the talking, same time. You're talking about safety, and when I um, when I looked at the work of Eggbox, it um, immediately uh, reminded me of something I did last year mm. um, when I was I was thinking about my own safety and and personal. Uh, personal bubbles of safety and um and you literally sat in a cardboard box didn't you yeah. with someone else in another box and you had walkie-talkies and that that idea of that protective space and that need for um all that i don't think a lot of your work although it seems to come from a biographical chronology potentially but it, it it doesn't seem to be totally biographical. You don't sit there and you don't, you're not giving memoirs. It's just, it's kind of reflecting on, um, situations that can happen to so many people. Um, and, and I could see that in that, in, when you're sat in that space, really reflecting on this need for protection. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, I, I really liked, I follow you on Instagram as well. I re really liked your work, that project last year. And it feels so relevant now, doesn't it? That whole, um, yeah. that whole body of work. It's so strange when you, just, you sort of make something and then it comes to life. We need, we need our world. boxes and our bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so strange. I've been thinking about Eggbox as well and, th and thinking like, you know, oh, maybe there's, there's a life for it in this strange kind of, uh, lockdown situation because of the, totally the, the one-on-oneness of it and i keep going back yeah. to it but i'm just a bit i'm then now I, i'm not sure if i'm where it's i'm not sure if i'm still in the same place as i was when i made yeah. it <laughs> it's, it's sometimes um i think sometimes the situation might might call for it but if you if yeah. it's not there if it's not there personally it's it doesn't feel right does it yeah it's just it's 
it, I kind of feel like it's of all the pieces. I feel like it's the most naive in a way, um, or it's the most generous to the audience in a way that I don't necessarily feel anymore. I don't quite feel as generous um, these days uh, because of you know because of politically where things are for trans people and for myself. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I think that's that's the thing that always kind of sticks a bit. I'm like, oh, it's really nice. But oh, you've got some learning to do. Um, yeah, it's about growing. It's about growing. There's a you know the end of that piece is this quote, and all of the people, all of it came from this book that I found, um, which was called "Sex and the Nature of Things," which was written by a marine biologist about like biology and the development of life, and it had these beautiful chapter headings that I stole from. But yeah, the end of the show, I think I quote in it, is that growing from an egg is a hazardous process. Um, and most of us are luckier than we realize. And I think, God, it is hazardous growing, you know, coming out is hazardous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe it's just not messy enough yet. If you wanted yeah. to bring it back, to get messy. That's it. Ripped apart with an axe, and I don't know. <laughs> it was pretty. I mean, it was pretty sweaty inside the boxes. Oh, I bet. The boxes were great because they were they were like um, adult human size. I had them specially made um, oh. by a cardboard box place because I was like, I want to sit inside a box in the way that you sit inside a box when you're a child. Um, yeah. And I didn't want it to feel uncomfortable, and I have you know access considerations and things. So they're boxes they're really huge <laughs> but they're so satisfying and i think that was you know the main experience for people was that everyone who came and watched it and it was just one-on-one and it was 20 minutes and it, it uh, you know i did one and i did another and, and another yeah. um and it was a, a very nice thing to sit inside the box so i think that was what people mostly got from it okay i think i want one though well, I, yeah. <laughs> I want one Right, what did I want to ask you next? I'm looking at my notes. Okay, you you talked in there uh, briefly about you make sure in your work, or maybe you don't make sure, but within your work, you've never felt that you've been in crisis. You, it's always a safe space, and I see that in um, some of the other work that you do, the holding space type work that you do, mm-hmm. like the Gender Roadshow. Um, do you, do you feel that that's something that you, that you do for audiences as well as for the performers or, um, is it something about those who are performing about those who are, you are going out and meeting when you're doing the roadshow, you know, is it, is it, is it a safe space for everybody that you're providing? Do you think? That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I think that I don't feel that, um, I'm sure it's not possible to hold a space that would be safe for everybody. Um, and I don't think that a safe space necessarily means to needs to be a space without conflict or a space that's comfortable to sit in, um, or a space that doesn't take risks. But I do think there's a lot about, um, I think there's a lot about our industry and the way in which I mean, I think there's just a kind of culture of the more that we put, the more that we bear ourselves and the more that we put, um, put out the riskier it is or the, or the, the worse it is, the worse situation I can talk about, the better the work, the better the art is going to be. And I think that's a kind of dangerous, um, 
a dangerous trend that sometimes we can fall into. Um, but I've, I mean, I've learned an awful lot about facilitating space over the last few years and I continuing to, to learn. We dig was a big, was a big learning, um, point for me as well. And I think the last couple of years I've been lucky enough to be in, to visit Turtle Island a couple of times. Turtle Island being the indigenous name for Canada, uh, for, for North America. I was in, um, Canada. Um, and I worked over there with, um, indigenous artists and, one of the artists I've worked with, Cole Alvis, who's um, Métis, um, and Cole's been working a lot on um, attempting to decolonize um, their practice, attempting to uh, break, to, to look at things in a different way. Because I think a lot of the un, unsafe and unhealthy practices that we have, I mean, particularly in theatre, which I can speak to, they're not natural ways of working when we come down to it. And it's, you know, even down to things like, you know, the, the Globe Theatre I learned recently, don't do their technical rehearsals in the evening anymore. They've just stopped it because people have childcare and, and also that leads to stressful situations. And part of me goes, oh my God, how, what, now what is a technical rehearsal if it's not happening at 4am? Well, you know, the answer is it's, it's more healthy and more productive. Um, and so through Cole and conversation with Cole, I've been, you know, I'm really inspired to question really the you know when i'm when i am facilitating a room to question okay how is this how is this room set up are we working in a are we just working in this way because it's how we've always been taught to work through um previous examples or are we working in a way that's going to best support the people who are in this room um and as a white person trying to always be aware of how much space i'm taking up and how i'm um, holding space for others and, or getting in the way of others. And like I say, I am really, I, the, the, the thing about <laughs> beginning to question this in myself is to also realize that I have a lot of bad practice, um, in the things that I do too. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, that's a real, um, journey that I've been on. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that, um, you obviously hold safe spaces because you think about it so much in, I mean, in that, cause in that question, I, um, I, I love what I could see on your website about how you hold spaces and, you know, that you do make sure that when you're holding workshop type spaces um, or when you are, you know, producing something with a lot of people who, you know, that you really care. And I think that really comes across in, in, in the work as well as in what you can see of the preparation. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really important. It's important to me as well in my projects. I've, um, I make sure that I, uh, Attempt, I'm, I'm questioning it as well now. I attempt to make sure <laughs> that, um, well, I ask people what they need and then yeah. I try to facilitate around that and, and make sure that working hours, um, fit, fit and are flexible and, um, and yeah, and that, and that there's respect there and that, yeah, you challenge and you take risks, but it's, um, in a way that is not going to cause harm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I got really excited when you were just talking then because I think I, I remembered that, like, of course, a lot of it is this, it's about the attempt, right? And actually, yeah. I, I'm, as much as I love talking about failure, about how failure is really important in making work, and of course it is, you know, like, yeah, 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 of course it is. I also <laughs> don't really like to fail. I like it when things go well. And I like it when things succeed and when people, you know, love work and, and, and stuff, um, is well, you know, and I get nice reviews that say I'm a, I'm a punk angel, but, um, yeah. you know, actually some of the, some of these questions have led things to have, have led to 
crunchy situations and have led to things being difficult. And part of the conversation I've been having with Cole um, in Turtle Island is about recognizing that that in order to, to truly decolonize our practice or to move towards decolonization, um, which is more um, achievable, I think, um, we have to also kind of release the idea of, of what success looks like. Um, and, you know, the idea of success only really ever meaning uh, success is, is really associated with excellence in our culture. Um, and it's quite frightening to go, okay, actually the success of this project might not, might not look like an excellent production. Um, it might look like, um, something else, but I'm quite excited to be holding myself to that. Um, you know, as I'm, as I'm making new work and making work that collaborates with other people, which is, which is what I'm, what I'm focusing on at the moment. I think that is an amazing place to uh, finish, Emma, just the idea of releasing the idea of what success looks like. Um, I'm going to hold on to that. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing no to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. You're absolutely um, welcome. I hope the rest of your uh, your lockdown is, you know, is, it, is as safe and healthy as the first bit has been. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This was Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Artwives.